Welcome to Ideas Into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality. No matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe. If this isn't your first episode, by now you would know that Ideas into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking. And we love to work with startups and entrepreneurs and share their stories via this podcast. What you may not know, though, is that we also have members of our community that are not on a journey to take their idea into reality. Our co-workers who are working remotely for a company or organisation that doesn't have an office here in town. Many people have recently had the opportunity to try out working from home due to the coronavirus pandemic. And not everyone has found it as wonderful as they thought it might have been. As we provide the physical space for people to work, we consider it an office away from home. Having a reason to get up, shower, put pants on and interact with other adults is actually a good thing for most of us. In addition to the desks, chairs, fast Wi-Fi and coffee, our co-workers get access to each other, something they cannot get working from home alone. Also, there are way fewer distractions here, though if by mid-morning you really would prefer to unpack a dishwasher instead of responding to an email, then by all means, go ahead. If you know someone who could benefit from having a place to go to get their work done, be sure to let them know that there's a co-working space available in downtown Toowoomba and they are most welcome to come and join us, as are you. The journey of a non-tech solo founder of a tech business is not an easy one and requires a real passion for the problem, commitment to seizing opportunities and a personality that makes everyone feel welcome to be involved. Today's guest embodies all of the above and it's been my great pleasure to be a small part of the story that has evolved. Kurt Alexander is the founder of Quick Safety a reg tech startup that's making the electrical industry safer and more compliant through the use of technology guided by a thorough understanding of the problem and diligence to bring the relevant parties to the table to develop a solution that works. Let's hear Kurt's story of how quick safety has gone from idea to reality. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kurt. I'm really excited to have you with us. The first thing that I'm keen to know is what was happening in your life around about the time that you got this idea for quick safety? Yeah, gee, this has been a uh, an idea for so long. You have to take my memory way back now. Um, I was created as a fixer. So I looked at everything and I see way of, ways of doing things better. I've been around this industry for over 39 years now, and 31 of those have been in Australia. 
And I've worked alongside of electricians that were struggling with knowing if their work was fully compliant to the Australian standards. And this first came up in the early 1990s while working with a company on the Sunshine Coast where I lived that focused on underground electrical reticulation. And that was doing the work in the housing subdevelopments and motorways and that sort of thing. Then it got shoved down in the later basket of life. And um, I did what everybody else did. You know, I, I just accepted it that that's just the way it was. We moved to Killarney in the year 2000, and that put me in a situation where I was an, a laborer, an offsider for an electrician. Once again, I saw this firsthand and was frustrated for the electrician and the risk they wore. But once again, life gets busy and you just move on. So it wasn't until 2009 that brought about two key mo moments for me. One was the uh, another level of intensity that we hadn't seen before, and that was the start of the home insulation scheme desk. And I wondered, how in the world does this keep happening? You know, it wasn't even one death. It was another one and another one and another one. You know, why aren't they told? Wasn't there a system or a process in place? And it really frustrated me. And even recently, just last month, we had a death in, from the home insulation scheme in Western Australia. It continues to happen today. The other one that uh, was a key moment for me was uh, I was consulting for an SME electrical business in Toowoomba in 2009. And the problem was compounded because they had 11 electricians. And the, the problems I saw with one electrician now were compounded 11 fold. And it was an absolute mess. So it was this year that I physically took the first step and one, one step of many uh, in making the idea a reality. 2015, once again, when I started to make those steps, brought the recall of Infinity Cable and the damage that it caused in the industry. I said enough was enough. You know, I'd, I'd had it by that stage. Wow. And, you know, when people are dying, you know that it's actually really a life and death problem that needs to be solved because often we go, oh, it's not life and death. And it's like, well, actually it, it is. So you got to 2015, you decided enough's enough. So what steps did you take to actually start to convert it from just being an idea that you had into something more? I've always been self-sufficient. I've never asked anyone for help. And also in those earlier days, places like Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba were not even around. So even though I had these ideas rolling in my head, around in my head since the 90s, I didn't have any place to, to exercise them or to bounce them off of people and get advice and help. Even if those places had been around, the chances of me knowing that they existed and what they did while I was living remotely in Killarney, a township of 800 people would have been really remote that I would have even known about them. I knew what I wanted to implement but was just unsure on how to do it. It was a, a complex assignment as I had to basically change the thinking of the entire state electrical regulators and the electrical regulation system. And that was my first hurdle. It was one I started in 2009, like I'd said previously. So that's when I took the first step. And I, I knew I had to get the state regulators to approve of a secure four-digit pin to be used in replacement of the age-old handwritten signature on those certificates of compliance and the documentation. Believe it or not, that was, that was a major effort for some states. Um, some states were very compliant and very quick to make the change. Others had to deliberate and debate and all this other kind of business. 
you know, within a period of six months, we then got all nine state electrical regulators, because we're dealing with New Zealand as well, to then approve that uh, four-digit secure pin. But it was early in 2016, in January, that I actually went to an evening event of Canvas co-working, and uh, there was a guy there speaking about how they were selecting good ideas and they were going to be sponsored for an accelerator that was taking place in Brisbane. I don't even remember how I found out about it. I was at that stage, I was living in Toowoomba, but thankfully I did hear about Canvas co-working and I did, and the topic of this, that this guy was talking about was actually quite exciting to me. So I did go. So I sat there in the audience listening to him talk and it was a Friday night. I remember it clearly. It was a Friday night. It was, I think it started at five or six o'clock. And I sat there in the audience going, Hmm, could this be for me? You know, is this really the path? So we asked questions and got answers. And so the deadline was like 10 o'clock on Monday morning, the following Monday morning, to have your submissions in. And so I had two days to put a submission together for approval. And uh, I put two submissions in. So um, one of the questions I asked, because I had so many ideas rolling around in my head over the years, Brett, the guy who was talking, said, well, you can put in as many submissions as you've got email addresses. And I said, OK, that's great because I've got a couple. So I'll, I'll put in at least two. So I put in both ideas and both ideas were shortlisted to the top 50. And then I got a little bit panicky and I thought, oh, my gosh, what if both of them actually get approved for the accelerator? So the next cut they made was to the top 20 and quick safety made that cut. My other concept, which had to do with virtual reality use for business, didn't make the top 20. So I really, I made the top 20 cut and they were going to cut further than that. And we had two weeks to do our customer acquisition and validation of the product. And then uh, we had to pitch to a panel and then they would make that cut. And I wanted this so bad. I thought, oh, I've done this so far. I've traveled so long on this journey that I just wanted it so bad. But at the time, I was running my business consulting and analysis business. And I mean, we were teaching and training in the Middle East. And I spent 16, 17 weeks a year in the Middle East training. And during that two-week validation, I actually had a week-long course that I couldn't get out of in the Middle East. So I really only had like five days of validation instead of 14 to get my concept across and do my customer acquisition. Uh, luckily, I had a lovely girl that I'd met from Canvas Coworking, and she helped me do my analysis as well. So thanks very much, Edwina, for that. But I was focused to put my best foot forward. And the next cut was then they took the 20 and they selected four to be funded and to be put in the program. That's a huge story, just that entire process there. But Quick Safety made the top four, and that was our start. That's what was needed to get the idea from just a basic concept into production. And it's great to hear that, even though I, I know all of that, it's so great to hear you talk through it. You know, the emotion that went alongside that, like, what if both of them did get selected? I'd have to maybe choose. <laughs> and they helped you by not selecting one and, and selecting the other. And obviously, you've been able to take that and, and the passion was there behind it, that it wasn't just this slight of an idea that had no substance. There's a real problem to be solved and a real passion behind it that's allowed you to keep the motivation going. So that's really wonderful. And I'm so glad you came to that event that night because it's it's those moments it's those catalyst moments where you hear about something you know maybe somebody told you about it and it's a, it's a shame you can't actually remember how you heard about it but you know that thing that happened and that's where it made it happen so that's really awesome for sure 
So I know it hasn't been the smoothest road for you and you've talked about a couple of the challenges you had in the early stages around even just getting different states to agree to move forward with something that's safer for their people. What are some of the the other things that have happened along that road from those early stages of getting into Blue Chile until now? Oh my gosh, there's so um, there's so many of them um, and, you know, there, there's a combination of things that happened. So we, we went, we went into the accelerator. It was a huge honor to be selected to be put into the uh, Collaborate Challenge, which was funded by Microsoft, SunCorp, Metway, CCIQ, and Blue Chile, and to be put through that accelerator. That was an awesome experience. We, we then, I guess, the next thing we did was we we went and placed. I, I would always, I, I love to pitch, and I would put up my hand at any pitching competition. So. Seed Stars World came to Sydney and we're finding the, the top five companies within Australia. So we placed third in that event. We went to OZAP that year. We placed in the top 30 of the OZAP Awards in Perth. We placed in the top 75 of Paws Startup out of Melbourne. Ant Hill 100. We placed 10th in Ant Hill 100. We went into uh, Mets Ignited. So the mining industry and their federal growth center, uh, Mets Ignited, had a competition to run their own mining accelerator. In the back of my mind, I was like, well, this is going to be the same. Isn't accelerator an accelerator an accelerator? But I thought, no, it's focused to the mining industry and they're a massive target for us. So I thought, well, okay, we'll put our hat in the ring there. So it was backed by KPMG. So all your interviews and your reviews and stuff were done by KPMG in Brisbane. And so uh, Quick Safety got placed in the top eight of that. And we went through the KPMG Energize Accelerator in 2017. From there, we pitched at IMARC, the International Mining and Resources Conference. We placed first there. And that's where we actually picked up one of our lead investors from our pre-seed round, which was Jollymont Global Mining Services. They've been an awesome shareholder to have. We were also picked up by NERA, which is another one of the federal growth centers. They catered to the oil and gas sector, and we were picked up in January of 2018 by them. There's tons of different things. We went through the Queensland Government ECRI Hub program in June 2018. That was run by GHD. So all along our journey, we've had some really amazing connections and amazing things happen. Semi-finalists for the ATC and uh, Australian Technologies competition in 2019. We were listed as one of seven startups to watch in 2019 across Australia. Uh, we were winner of the Investable Games in 2019. But I guess, you know, it wasn't until we actually, we, we spent so long in development that, because we knew we had to get a reg tech product to market, but we knew there were complications and that, you know, everything had to be right. You, you can't, just launch a product and expect it just to slowly iterate into a better product. You have to come to the market with a really stable product. So our CVP was launched in January, 2019. And then we started generating revenue in May of 2019. So they were pretty huge milestones for us. We've brought in several different things. We, we launched our national safety alert system, which now gives electricians all the alerts from all 23 channels across Australia and New Zealand directly to each electrician, which bypasses the old system of the electricians counting on the electrical contractor to give them that information. Um, so we launched that in September 23rd of 2019. We're connected with some amazing 
international companies as well as national companies, the International Oil and Gas Technology Advanced Manufacturing Growth Center here in Australia. And, and we've done some really cool things um, along our journey. One thing after a next, and I, I guess one of the things is to be really focused about what you want. When you get up into the startup scene, there's so much that you can partake in, but you can't do it all and you shouldn't do it all. You know, So, so pick and choose your fights because otherwise you'll just burn yourself out. And we see that happen, which is really unfortunate. And you've talked there about pitching at different places. Sometimes people will do that and there's value in it and other times it's not. And Mm. I'm going to go back to one thing you mentioned. So obviously you've mentioned uh, finding some investors and raising some funds. And earlier on, you mentioned that you were running a company and you were doing training in the Middle East. At some point, obviously, you've moved away from running your business. And you've been able to raise some funds and you mentioned generating some revenue, which is always nice. But that that road, I imagine, was bumpy, like finding funds and working out when you can let go of that income stream that you had beforehand, that, that stable, steady source of income that's going to feed your family and moving into this new world where you've got to put in so much time, you've got to travel to all these places, you've got to meet people, you've got to invest in the development of your tech. It's costing you money. You're raising money you need time. How did you navigate that period of going, I have to let go of this stable, secure source of income that I've had for however long and and plunge myself into this fully unknown world of raising funds and not knowing how quickly development's going to happen. What was that like? And can you just tell us a bit about that and how that worked for you? Sure. I mean, that's that's probably one of the key dynamics that I, I would imagine probably every founder struggles with because you, you've literally got a foot in each camp. You've got a, a foot trying to keep the fuel on the accelerator to get income for your family and pay your bills and do all this. And then you've got your, your heart driving your passion, which which is really where you want to go and where you want to end up. And you're your mind is fully over here, but your body and your soul has got to be committed over here because that's what provides the money. So we were very, very blessed to have Lex MacArthur, the general manager from Jollymont Global. So you mentioned the investment. So we initially got our first investment when we got into the Blue Chili program. The next investment we had was our pre-seed round. So we went out to raise 300000 We closed that round at a little over 400000 but it was Jollymont's contribution and their requirements of what they wanted to do with their money that actually changed my mind because I still would have been trying to do both things. I still would have been trying to keep money going and keep the bare necessities going for my family, as well as plowing, you know, hundreds of hours a week into quick safety. Lex told me, he said, he sat me down and he said, listen, he says, we want to invest but you're going on a full-time wage and you're you're ditching your other business. You're totally releasing your other business. And for me, that was a huge sigh of relief because I had somebody that's been a businessman, been in the mining industry, been in innovation for so long, and he knew the importance of focusing me, as a, especially as a sole founder. I mean, that's a whole other story on its own, but uh, as a sole founder. Uh, focusing me and my intentions on getting the best return for their money. And he clearly laid it out. He said, we only have one condition, and that is that you ditch your, your business and your company structure, and you only focus on quick safety. He says, what do you think? And 
I didn't even take a breath. I said, yep, it's, it's great with me. <laughs> and, and that's how that started. But um, I think, Joy, it is probably one of the hardest decisions for people to make. And you have to be very careful to weigh up that decision of when is that right turn to pivot away from stability, you know, and all of this to still give you the legs to run your race over in your startup to get it to a revenue stage to then hopefully get it to a, I mean, a revenue stage doesn't mean you're paying yourself money, but a revenue stage and then get to paying yourself at least something to allow you to focus solely on that. Awesome. And I know as someone who's stepped away from a, a secure career and income into something that's totally unknown, what that felt like for me. And I know it's different for everybody, but yeah, well done on making that leap. And great that you recognize the potential that that would bring for you when that opportunity was put in front of you and that you didn't have to hesitate or be concerned that it wasn't the right thing to do, that you felt confident. So that's really good. So obviously you've achieved a lot over the last, well, many, many years, but over the last sort of four to five years of bringing quick safety into the world. What moments are you most proud of? Wow. Um, There's so many because I think, you know, for every founder, every founder would be passionate about what they're doing. So, you know, when you, you have something that you know can change the industry and make it safer and make it more transparent, I think, firstly, for me, it would be making the electrical industry safer for everybody. I mean, that that I'm super proud of what we've been able to do to finally offer Australia and New Zealand the, the only trade safety application that filters and gives out and directs every single safety channel directly to the actual uh, workers on the ground. To see what started out and has now become a reality is a real hoot. I mean, to bring something from conception into its birth and now into its scaling sector. I think next, I I think I'd have to say my relationships and my networks. They're extremely important. I'm I'm a real relational person, as you know, Joy. So I, I treat everybody with, you know, respect and integrity. And likewise, they do the same. And Genuinely, people are out there to help and assist you. You you just can't be a real, you know, harsh person uh, because you're going to attract that and then you won't get anywhere. So these people in my networks and my relationships that I've formed at different events and different things like that, they're basically my friends. I mean, we'll text, we'll call. Some of them have become trusted advisors that we use for the company. So they're critical to us, and, and I'm really proud of the connections that we've made, and we continue to nurture those connections. And it's a two-way street. It's not, it's not just take, 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 take. I'm always continually asking, what can I do for you? Is there something I can do for you? I mean, I'm, I'm talking to a person at the moment, and we started a relationship about six weeks ago, I think it was, and they're very influential very influential in nationally in the construction industry. I just asked him, I said, you know, what can I do for you? Is there anything that I can help you with? Because I'll, I'll do it. If it's in within my power, I'll do it. And oddly enough, recently, I mean, I'm talking recently, probably in the last year. So it's, it's, it's not because of COVID, but it's been my priorities. It's, it's been a real mind shift for me in the last year. So, I mean, I was three years into the business and I, 
I finally had this big dynamic mind shift about my priorities because I was so focused on quick safety that it became my be all and end all. And it just sucked up my life through the, through the trials that we've experienced and every founder does. It's pulled me back to what is really important in life. And I think that's part of the key to success is finding that balance in between being able to drive long and hard for your business, but having that time for yourself, making this time for your family, making time for what's important in your life. And, and there was one aspect of my life personally that I had let go. I had, I had not put the attention into it that I should have. And now in the last year I have, and I feel more complete. I feel more satisfied. I feel more fulfilled because of that. And that's, that's been a huge change for me. That's really great to hear. And I know when I did first meet you, you were in those early stages and very driven. And I met your beautiful wife. We didn't probably hear much more about the family. Then after a while, and yeah, probably in those last couple of years, we have, they're not little children, but they've got lives and we, we hear about them, which is lovely. And it's great to see that shift happen. So well done and well done on recognizing it and then taking the action to make it happen because it doesn't happen by accident. Divorce happens no, by accident. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in life that happens by accident and it has to be a, um, a mind driven focus to actually make you want to make that change. It's, it's like exercise. It's like everything. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned uh, just as you were speaking then as well about some of those moments that you're proud of around the development of the the solution. So the development of the software and the, the app, it's a stage though that you're at, but what's next? What's that next stage of your journey look like? Yeah, I mean, for for us, we've always, you know, it's it's probably the typical startup scenario to where you, you get an MVP out to the market and then you get it and then you get some customers and you iterate and you make a product better and better and better. Uh, like I said, for us, I mean, we were nearly four, well, we were four years in development just about to get the certification, to get the approvals, to get everything together, to get the tech, you know, wound up um, and then release it as a commercially viable product. But for us, it's about a continuation of making a better product with more features to cover more industries and more countries. So originally when this started, because I had so much experience in the electrical industry, that's where we focused because that's where my expertise was at. Now that we've opened up this situation, we've had people from other industries come to us and say, oh my gosh, can you do that for us? And this is how we need it. And this is what we need. And compliance globally is basically broken. It's not transparent. There's no validity. There's no assurance that that's been completed. All these different things. There's no auditability. So it's a, it's a raft of problems across the industry. And so that's why we have a global ambition as well to make sure that compliance in every industry is safe, uh, it's correct, and it's transparent. But, you know, the, one of the catches to doing that is we have to prove ourselves here. We, we can't go across the big pond to other countries and expect to change the globe there if we can't show that we can do that here. We, we must have a total saturation here first. So this is like our proving ground. It's, it's where we start to form the tip of the spear to be able to prove that we can do what we can do. I mean, we've already got interest in the European Union, which is six times our market here across Australia and New Zealand. 
but I'm not going there yet because we have to prove ourselves here. I guess one of the other objectives we have and one of the biggest things that we do is listen. I think that should be an objective for every stage of any startup or any scale up is listening to your customers. We've opened up more and more areas that are in dire need of our solution just by listening to the customers. I can't say too much about a recent project that's only come up in the last two weeks, but it, it's exciting. It's massive, but it, but it, but it's very uh, exciting at the same time. And it was not an area that we would have approached or would have taken an interest in. But now that I've seen the issues and the problems, it's only going to be a slight iteration. And we can do that strictly straight across all of Australia and New Zealand as well. So super excited about that. But but listen, listen to your customers. You know, that's that's the key to where you'll find out if what you're doing is really making a change, whether it's really helping them. Our, in our case, it's a it's an issue about helping them. It's de-risking them. It's making them safe. But the comments that we get back from our customers is, "Oh my gosh, I've never I've never had any product to where I could just ring you up anytime, day or night, and ask you a question or get help with something." I said, "Well, that's what we do. We're here to help you and to ensure that you know we." de-risk you and make you safe. So if we can do that, don't sit there and stumble around and try to figure it out on your own. Give us a call and and we'll give you a hand. One of the cases came out of the Coles, Coles Express and Liquorland um, six-month trial that we finished in January. And the RSTs, which are the electricians on site that do those tests at every Coles site, one of them came up with an idea. So I was doing toolbox talks and he put up his hand and I said, yeah. And he says, oh, love your product, but could we just do this? And I said, why would you do that? And he told me why. And I thought, you're right. Why wouldn't we? So within two weeks, we had an iterated app out, a new release that did that. And it it solved everybody's problem. But to us, it wasn't a problem. But if we never would have listened, we never would have known. That's one of the wonderful things about having access to the people who actually use your product is that you can talk to them and find out and you know, you hear all the the Kaizen stories and things like that of pe- decision makers making <laughs> those, those calls around product iterations when they've never even used the product. It's it's great to do that. And I think listening is definitely a skill and something that a lot of people need to learn and practice. But once you can do it and do it well, it can add so much value to everything that you do. So great, great point there. And we look forward to seeing what you do next and where things go and when you're allowed to talk about things we look forward to hearing more about them. I know with so much and as you said there's so many different parts of your journey you've learned so much along the way you've done so much and there is so much to be proud of. If you're sitting chatting with somebody and they say hey Kurt you know you've done really well but I've got this idea what should I do? What would be the the one piece of advice that you would give them before they started on their journey? Wow one piece of advice you could go to if you need to. I think I think I would have to. I think I'd have to break it down to three. <laughs> but the, the first one would be is support. And by support, I mean I've had fantastic support from my family, my friends, from Canvas co-working, from Startup Toowoomba, uh, Blue Chili. You know, everybody we're associated with have been fantastic support. But I'm talking about support in the battle, in the daily battle. So I'm talking about co-founders. So 
as a sole founder, one of the things I made a promise to myself a year into the business was if I ever do a startup again, I'm not being a sole founder. <laughs> it's a hard job and it's a long job, which is probably into part of my second point, which is preparing for the journey. You know, I think everybody thinks that their idea is great, that it's going to get traction. They'll raise a million dollars in the first year and 50 million in the second year. And um, you really have to prepare yourself because it is a really long process. So you have to be mentally prepared to last the distance. And that's where I think a co-founder can help recharge you, can help keep you focused, can help take some of that burden off of you to help that distance be not so arduous and long. And the last thing, and probably the most important thing, is one of the things that I harp on every chance I get a chance to talk about, and that's customer acquisition. You can't have a successful product if you don't know that somebody's going to buy that, if you don't know that somebody's going to use that, if you don't know that somebody's going to appreciate that. So customer acquisition is one of those things we did in the first two weeks of the, um, the Collaborate Challenge Accelerator uh, when we were in the top 20. And it's critical. Like I said, I always harp on about it and with good reason, because I think customer acquisition can either make or break you in the early stages. And it really should make you if you do it correct. If your listeners want to get in touch with you and you give them my number or whatever, I'm happy to really drill down on that part because there are ways and means to do a really good customer acquisition to where you can pull the truth out of a customer. The last person you want to go to is your mother or your wife or your husband and say, hey, this is the idea. Would you buy it? And they go, oh, sure, I will. Because they love you. They don't want to hurt you. They, they don't want to tell you the truth. And, and they'll probably be ex as excited as you are about the idea. But you need to get to the bottom, the very truth of what it is that the customer is going to think and go from there and build your business from that point. Fantastic. I think, yes, you can You can have a mother who loves you and, and says all the nice things, or you could have one who actually goes, no, I think you should just go back to your day job. <laughs> but either way, yeah. unless they are your customer and know exactly what it is that you're looking at, their their opinion isn't actually worth it. Just moral support is nice, but uh, but that's all we want to rely on them for. So yeah, great point. And, and the truth, and I think that's a, a really good point. The truth that you can get from a customer and and in my little startup lessons, you know, we've talked about some customers and, uh, and, and who they are and those early adopting customers, but they're the ones who we really want to make sure that what they're telling you still isn't just to make you feel better or to avoid potential conflict or because they don't maybe even fully understand the problem themselves. You really want to be talking to those ones who are laying it out on the table. This is what they think. If they think it's not great, this is why, and working with you. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Now, not that we expect everyone's going to call you to ask for help on validating their customer, and we want them to um, to do a bit of work on their own, but if they need some help, that's great. But connecting with you, for sure. So we do want people to be able to reach you, and certainly those who can help you. And as you said, you ask people all the time, how can you help? And I know that you've helped us a lot, and particularly with Mira, so our mining accelerator that we've just run again this year. You jumped in as a participant for some of the sessions, which was awesome, and pitched with us as well. But you were also there as a 
mentor. So we're really grateful for that and the fact that you do ask, how can you help? But now I want to flip that and I want to know how can we help you? How can the people listening to this podcast today help you and how can they connect with you? Sure. Thank you very much. The um, the website is www.quicksafety, spelled Q-U-I-C-K, safety.com.au. So being in new tech and specifically within regulation technology, which is where we fit, the hardest thing that I've found is customer awareness. So customer acquisition is one thing, but customer awareness is another. And I think it's one of the critical factors for any startup is Even if you have a great product, people have to know that you even exist. And in regulation technology, it probably is marginally harder than if I had a social media app or a photo app or something like that, because there's not a lot of people that really get all that we do because we do such a large gambit of things. But what I would want your audience to do is just to tell asset owners, you know, large and small, they all need to be aware of the capability that quick safety gives them and what we can actually do for their asset. Because for the first time we can have that be totally transparent and we can also give you a predictive capability and a preventative capability for power failures and faults and prevention from electrocution. So this is, this is a mind blower in the asset industry. Tell your electrical contractors, tell your electricians that, you know, as a homeowner, I mean, when I was up in, I used to live in Toowoomba, and now I live on the Sunshine Coast, but when we had electricians come to our house, I would just mandate it on our house. As a homeowner, it's your right to ensure that the job is safe. So when you hire an electrician, when you're booking them, just say, hey, yes, and I request that it's be done on the quick safety platform, because the electricians can come straight on the platform, do your job, and they never have to use it again. So it's not a hindrance to them to, to get onto the system. And lastly, I guess, you know, share our social media posts, like our pages across LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, help us to spread the words and ensure, you know, you can be part of ensuring that our electricians are kept safe and also that they do their job safe, that we mitigate their risks and perform a better product for every single person across Australia and New Zealand. Thank you for that. And yeah, for everyone listening, uh, we all have electricity in our lives, in our businesses. It's one of those things that usually comes up as the what's the one thing you couldn't live without nowadays <laughs> is electricity. So it's a it's a significant part of our life and we want those who bring it to us to be safe. So if you can share that, that would be great. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kurt. I always love to have a chat and catch up with where you're at. Look forward to seeing what comes next when you're allowed to talk about new things. Good luck on your raise uh, that's, I, I think, still underway or closed? It's still underway at the moment. We've uh, got three different interested parties at the moment, but it's still open. If anybody is interested, that is still available. So if you've got some money and you want to invest in an app that's going to help by saving our electricians, then get in touch with Kurt. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. I know you're a very busy man. Appreciate you giving your time and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with our audience once again. Thanks, Kurt. No worries. Thanks very much, Joy, and thanks very much for everybody for listening. Part of our conversation today with Kurt Alexander from Quick Safety discussed his decision to quit his day job, which happened to be his own company. His decision was made easier by the fact that someone was offering him investment funds with a condition that he work on the startup full time. It doesn't work that way for everyone though. 
And making that decision can be very difficult, especially if you're the sole income provider for your household. Starting a startup as a side hustle is a very real and effective method. It allows you to develop your skills, create your brand, understand your audience and start to connect with them, design your solution and implement systems and processes. But it often doesn't allow you time to grow and scale at a pace that will generate sufficient revenue to easily quit your job. One of the things that Kurt mentioned, which I want to touch on, is the reality of having the ability to grow your business if your efforts are divided. Having the time available to meet with people who may eventually become a customer or perhaps they will influence others or with the policymaker who might stand in your way of achieving your desired outcome unless you can spend time with them to help them understand the potential opportunity that exists by your new solution. Also, having the energy to invest into building these essential relationships, to travel to conferences and events, to become known in your industry and to be available to your customers and team is limited if your time is shared. Time in your startup is one thing that money can buy, but you need to be sure that it's a sufficient trade. Raising funds from investors can give the injection of funds that allows you to focus fully on your startup and manage your financial commitments of life. However, you want to be sure that the investor is also working with you and adding value to your journey and will not take away your time with additional activities that outweigh the benefits or with expectations that exceed your capability. In the end, only you can decide. However, these few points may help you start to prepare. 1. Clarify your objective. What do you want? And communicate that with your loved ones. 2. Setting yourself clear, measurable milestones for your side hustle. These can be activity-based and outcome-based. What will you do? Will you do what it takes? And is your strategy sound? 3. Reviewing your household budget and financial commitments, reducing or eliminating anything that is non-essential, then adjusting your lifestyle to match for at least a few months to give you and your family time to adjust before you take the leap, and save the difference to give you a bit more runway. Four, find yourself an accountability buddy, someone who can check in with you regularly and ensure that you're executing on your commitments. And five, Consider investment options and building relationships with potential investors early and performing due diligence activities on those that you're seriously considering bringing on board. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas into Reality episode. And we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and let your friends know too. They might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites, canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey and I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode. Mm-hmm.